0: Hello, I hope you have a seat, we're packed in, we do have some seats over here, Uh, there's probably six or seven or eight, if you've got a seat next to you, raise your hand, because we'd like to get everybody in that we can, welcome to Contemporary Worship, if you haven't been here before, that was at the Virginia Road Band, and they they lead our worship here every Sunday. They're fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. We're here for a very special occasion, and uh, this is a wonderful opportunity for any congregation to have an opportunity to write its next chapter by electing its own pastoral leadership. Uh, We will get to the actual meeting of the congregation following the reading of scripture and the sermon, but it's my pleasure to introduce to you our preacher for this morning and the candidate that has successfully navigated our associate pastor nominating committee process, (laughs) Reverend Jessica Vaughn Lower and I crossed paths at Princeton Seminary back in 2003 when she came in as the as a Master of Divinity student there, and I was the Dean of Students, in 2006, I left uh, Princeton Seminary to come here as the pastor of the San Marino Community Church, and in 2006, she graduated, and she was ordained. She's from the Laverne Presbyterian Church here in Southern California. She was a candidate for ministry under the care of the Presbytery of San Gabriel. And uh, shortly, we were just talking this morning, I'm not sure if I had become the chair of the Committee on Preparation for Ministry when she was ordained or shortly thereafter, but it was right about the same time. So our paths have crossed a number of times, and I'm so thrilled that she's here as a candidate for associate pastor position in contemporary worship, and in community outreach. Jessica uh, is married. Her husband Andy is here and her two children. Uh, where are they located? Can we have you stand? We just want to recognize you. Here they you Andy. And the kids are in Sunday school. Good. And I believe uh, Jessica's parents are here as well, and we want to recognize them. So would you please stand? Just for a quick
1: moment. There they are. by the door. a
0: Great to have you here. And it's now a pleasure to introduce to you Jessica vaughn Lohr. And uh, she is currently the pastor of a church in El Paso, Texas. And... Uh, she has been serving and ministering in a variety of contexts, beginning her ministry in the church in Pennsylvania, the Westminster Presbyterian Church there. Uh, and so she comes with a great deal of experience and a great deal of depth, as I'm sure you will see. So let's welcome our preacher this morning, Reverend Jessica Vaughn Lower. Jessica.
1: Thank you. Good morning, my friends. It is a joy to be with all of you this morning, particularly noting that some of you had to travel to get in here. We see you back there. Thank you for uh, being here and for responding to God's call to worship, because ultimately, regardless of what is happening in the particular life of the church, that is what we are doing. We are responding to God's call, to be in God's presence, and to surrender all who we are, into God's work. So that is my greatest joy, to be with all of you this morning. But we have a whole bunch of scripture to read and we have a sermon, we have a meeting to get through. And so I'm going to invite you to either look in your bulletin if you are someone who likes to read along with scripture, uh, you can read in one of your bulletins, or if you are uh, maybe a little bit more like me, sometimes in the busyness of life, it's just nice to sit back and listen and see how the Spirit speaks to you and what part of Scripture comes alive for you anew. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. Both of our passages of Scripture for this morning are going to be familiar for those of you who have been around church for a while. So I'm not going to give a whole bunch of background into it, but Ezekiel is a prophet. Ezekiel is uh, seeing a very vivid vision that he's then recording for the life of Israel, okay? So that's where we're jumping in today, Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord and God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they might live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up completely, are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from your graves O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil, then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord." Our second piece of scripture comes from John, chapter 11, also familiar verse. Jesus has been pretty busy. He's been walking around in the gospel of John, teaching, doing miracles. He's been accepted and rejected by many different people. He's just been rejected from the Jews. And that's when we jump in to this story today, verses 38 through 44. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one, am I in the right place? You know, sometimes I just like to make it up and keep you on your toes, but look, I got you there. (laughs) Here we go, here we go, verse 38, then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So he took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped up in cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Friends, in my tradition, we say that this is the word of the Lord. If you will, bow your hearts and your minds with me as we pray. God of light and hope, we are grateful that amidst the busy time of our schedules, against the anxieties of our hearts, against everything that we have going on, you managed to... uh, Create that miracle of drawing your people together in one place for one purpose. Even though we are diverse, even though we have different opinions, even though we think about the world differently, you bring us together as one body and say that this body is a reflection of Jesus Christ in the world. God, we are grateful. And so we pray, Lord, that in this time, we will set aside those anxieties, the to do lists the distractions, the worries, the fears, the questions, and that we will focus ourselves wholly upon you, giving our whole selves over into your spirit and your work, being people who reflect the light of your good news here and everywhere. We are all imperfect, God, and yet you tell us and assure us that you use our imperfections for your perfect will. May it be so today. May we see your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I moved to the East Coast for seminary and started searching for a new church, I had joined up with a friend of mine who was already in pursuit of finding a new church home. My friend was Southern Baptist from born in Indiana, and he had developed an appreciation for the theology of the Eastern Church Fathers. And so ultimately, I think that that's why We ended up attending an Eastern Orthodox Church in the end. Now, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, icons are a really important part of their tradition. Icons are human-made depictions of scriptural truth. They are carved in wood. They're vibrantly painted. Some of them are internationally famous, but this church had local ones that the people of that particular congregation had carved and crafted to express their understanding of the gospel. And so every Sunday, we would sit in the same place, because I was Presbyterian, and we would sit in the front, because he was Baptist, which meant that we were facing that same icon week after week after week, the same one icon. And in this icon, it showed Jesus storming up from a trap door in the ground with a set of keys dangling from his hand. And scattered around the ground and piled up against that trap door were piles of dry bones heaped up on the edges. Every piece of that icon was covered in bones. They were so oppressive in the icon that it looked like those bones were actually trying to keep Jesus down into that trap door. But then at the same time as you looked at it, you saw the pressure of the bones and then you also saw that as Jesus was rising from that door in the earth, the bones were beginning to rise as well and they were beginning to fit themselves back together. Some were already growing back their tendons and their muscles and their eyes. It was by far one of the most powerful images that I have ever seen created by humanity No doubt because it echoes the most powerful message that we have in Christianity, which is the message of resurrection. And that message of life taking over death, of life taking over what everyone knows and what everyone can see with their own eyes and touch with their own hands and know within their own souls is dead. That message of life Taking over what everyone knows is already dead and gone and over, that message of death will not, that death will not win over life, is still the only message worth our time. It is still the only thing that we need to be standing on as Christians. We live in a world where death is an everyday occurrence death of innocence in planes and in schools and on the streets and in hospitals, death of dreams that we hold for ourselves and for the ones that we love, death of confidence or death of a strength that once sustained us in times of trouble. Each of us here has some tangible experience with death. For the church regardless of the denomination or the affiliation, it has been a death of the communities of faith with diminishing numbers across the board and a diminishing good reputation. Meanwhile, many of us who are sitting in the pews or in the chairs, many of us are getting older. And with that, we are getting more tired, more weary of this message that promises change and transformation at every appearance of death Because for many of us, church and our practiced Christian faith has been the one thing that we could rely upon not to change throughout our lifetimes. For some of us, sometimes it feels like it would just be easier to let certain things die. But these feelings that we have when we see something that we are relying upon dying. These feelings that we have of tiredness and hopelessness and this desire for stability, these feelings are familiar to God. In our reading from the Hebrew Bible, God calls Ezekiel to stand in a valley that is filled with dry bones. A great many bones, it says, as though there were a battle held there between two great armies and the fighting lasted so long and the losses were so great that the survivors could carry only themselves out and not carry out the dead. And God says to Ezekiel, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And Israel recognizes it and turns to God, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. In other words, Israel is saying that they are too tired to keep working towards something that just isn't getting better. They say that they want someone else to do it for them for a while. They say that they would rather die than fight a losing battle. And so they act like parched, dried bones lying in a valley, mere skeletons of the spirit that once gave them life, all of their strength and all of their tenderness gone. But where Ezekiel saw a message of lifelessness in those bones, God declared the possibility for new life. God has Ezekiel say, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. So in other words, God speaks good news to the bones that were obviously too far gone for any good use. God speaks good news to his creation To this creation and these bones that now show no resemblance of the life that he first put in them, he to those things says, I will give you new life. And friends, that's the end of the story. God gives new life to his creation, even when it is depleted beyond recognition, even when it doesn't look anything like it used to at the beginning. God gives new life. End of story. Done. Now, theoretically... I know that we as Christians hear this all the time. There's no new news in this good news. So let me just point out two significant things, things that I think are significant in that one piece of hope. Number one, the bones did not ask God for new life. They were bones. They were inanimate. They could not ask for anything. And I point that out because I believe that sometimes we think that God will not refresh our spirits when we are at our lowest points, when we are doubting the most, when we are struggling and distracted, when we are depressed and despairing. Sometimes I think that we believe that we have to be operating at a certain level of holiness in order to have God pay attention to us, in order for God to be good in engaging us. But my friends, what we see in this scripture passage is that's just not the case. Those bones cannot ask for new life. They were dependent on new life being put upon them. And so it is the same for us. In the times where we are feeling too desperate to reach out to God, that is the very moment that God is reaching out to us. And that's it. No requirements necessary. Those bones did not ask for new life but God gave them new life anyway. That's point number one. Point number two, God did not bring those bones back into the same situation that they were in before, fighting tirelessly in a battle that is costing them more than what any victory could give them in a battle that literally (laughs) killed them. Instead, God gave those bones a new life and a new spirit so that they could exist in new circumstances. I wanna explain why this is important. All too often, when we are faced with hard times and when we don't know what to do with what the world is presenting us, all too often we look back into the past and we reminisce about the good old days. We sometimes think that if things just returned to what they used to be, then we would have all the good fortune that the past offered us and none of the bad. I have a good example of this. Are any of you, raise your hands, if any of you are Bob Seeger fans? Anyone? <laughs> I like that old time rock and roll. The kind of music just soothes my soul. I reminisce about the days of old with that old time rock and roll. I was hoping you'd sing with me, but. (laughs) Now friends, I'll admit that I wasn't there. I don't recall hearing that rock and roll was received with people throwing up their hands and saying, man, does that music soothe my soul. Even I know that Elvis as the king of rock and roll was controversial enough to be censored on television. We as people, and so we as the church, often desire to be given this spirit of old. But God doesn't. God desires to give us a new spirit with abilities beyond our imagination. One that is fresh and prepared to deal with the new challenges of each new day. Different from the times of the past and different from the future anticipations of our finite minds. Now, Jesus paraphrases this concept really nicely for us in our New Testament reading by saying just one sentence, and he says this. He says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You see, Lazarus had suffered the same fate as those bones in the valley. Having endured this long fight against illness, he had given up hope. He had succumbed to death and his death was accepted, maybe even welcomed, by the world that was around him who was mourning him dutifully. Carefully they washed him. Carefully they wrapped him in the cloth, placed him in a tomb, sealed him off, waiting to be forgotten, waiting to be accepted, waiting for that grief to disappear. But just as those gosp- that gospel came to those bones in Ezekiel, so the living word came to Lazarus in that stale tomb. Now, I don't know how you envision the resurrection, this resurrection of Lazarus, but I used to imagine this story like it was a scene out of a horror movie, which oddly, if you look at any of the Sunday, some of the Sunday school literature that draws pictures about this, I got that vision from that literature, Right? Where I imagine this as a solemn Jesus, he strides confidently up to that sealed tomb. And as the rock is slowly rolled away, Jesus bellows in his best Charlton Heston voice Lazarus, come out. And slowly, zombie Lazarus comes out with his legs and arms stiff, and he's sort of moaning a little bit. And, you know, everyone is in shock and horror, right? Oh my gosh. And it strikes me, as I imagine it, that my version of Lazarus is bordering more on lifelessness than it is on life. That resurrection of Lazarus in my former imagination is a terrifying day where Jesus is dutiful and Lazarus is more undead than he is alive. But a professor of mine in seminary, he loved recounting his version of this story to us frequently. And he'd tell it this way. He would say this. And so Jesus hollered into that tomb, Lazarus, get yourself out of there. You're starting to stink. (laughs) And in no time at all, Lazarus comes tearing out of that tomb, jumping and hollering and pulling himself free of those clothes that were even then tripping him up. My friends, you see, Jesus gave Lazarus a new spirit for new circumstances. Not that remnant of the old, still sick and moaning and tired spirit that he died with. A spirit now annoyed that he still has to fight the same old fight instead of resting in peace. No, Jesus gave Lazarus a new spirit that was free and grateful and living fully into it. My friends, resurrection, it's not magic. It's not the product of the overactive imaginations of first century Palestinians. It's not empty words. Resurrection is the gospel. God gives us a new spirit in times where all that we can see is death. He offers that life to us when we are on top of the world, and he offers that life to us when we are only skeletons of who we used to be. God is always restoring us to life. And so as Christians, we must choose to recognize each new day for exactly what it is, a new day of God's new spirit. Because as Christians, as God's children and friends, our bones are going to be enlivened whether we ask for it or not. So if we're not dancing in our new life, shaking off those burial clothes of the defeat that we had yesterday and exercising our new muscles, filling our new lungs with the wind of the Spirit, then we are not alive, my friends. Then we are just undead. And if we know anything from zombie movies and television shows, We know that people run away from the undead. There is no hope to be found in a zombie. So my friends, as we see from the story of Lazarus, as we know from the story of Jesus, God has a thing for breaking open stale tombs. As we see from Ezekiel's valley of dry bones, God has a thing for looking at the most hopeless of situations and creating fullness once again. I don't know where today finds you. I don't know what kind of death or loss you have endured or are enduring. But I know that this is true for both you and for me. Death will not be our end. May the fullness of God's new spirit of life enter your lungs anew today so that you too can skip out of that tomb that is trying to enclose you and so that you too can tear off the shrouds that keep you perpetually stumbling and so that you too can march confidently and tenderly into this new day, into these new circumstances that are being created even as we speak right now just for you and just for me. If you will, please pray with me. God, we pray that we will be a people of good news to those that we know and love and to those that no one knows and loves. May we also be people of good news for ourselves in the times where we think that we are too far gone. Remind us, speak to our spirits, speak to our hearts that you only long to give us new life and life to the full. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.